and every shop I've worked with, that has always been the goal to become the employer of choice. And the employer of choice is we don't promise jobs, we promise careers. If people won't invest in your career, they may pay you more to come over, but they'll never spend another dime on it. So that's why they stay with me. You may have been the best tech, and it's true. That's how you tend to rise up and you go out and buy your own company, but you will run out of days in a week, weeks in a month, months in a year. I guarantee it. Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown, and this is the Hook Better Leads podcast. I'm with Al Levy. How you doing, Al? I am doing great. Thank you. Uh, the owner the, and the author of The Seven Power Contractor, um, Al You've been around the home services businesses business for a while. Uh, can you give the people a little bit of a background on your experience? Well, thank you for just saying I've been around for a while instead of saying like, you know, you're really old, but <laughs> yeah, I have been around for a while. And actually my business has been around. It started with my grandfather in the gas station in 1936. So when my, and my, myself and my two older brothers arrived, we were third generation in a plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical shop in New York. If you know where JFK Airport is, just go towards the water. That was our service area in New York. Uh, I'm told I have a trace of my accent still. So if you start to slur in, I'll, I'll apologize ahead of time. Before you guys who are listening go, oh, that's not the trade I'm in, stop. I have spent the last 20 years when I left my family business working with clients one-to-one -one all across the United States and in Canada. I worked with kitchen cabinetry people. I worked with um, garage door companies, but really I also worked with a roofing company in Iowa, uh, low slope, which I didn't even realize was a term in commercial. And we did all of the systems that I had at his company. It applies to every contractor. Hmm. Every contractor has to follow what Tim was mentioning, which I call the seven powers, the planning, operation, staffing, sales, sales, coaching, marketing, and finance. So that is the foundation. I don't care what business you are in. And if we're speaking to roofing, you need this. Well, I'm going to call this podcast, My Employees Are Not Me, <laughs> because that is the, the top dilemma that I see people. And I, and I believe it. I believe that you are, if you run a business, if you run a home service business, that you are probably pretty smart that you're probably pretty ambitious and that you probably have more incentive than anyone to do great things for that business. And I think what I want you to get to and what I hope that this podcast helps you do is have some more motivation to, to work with employees because I, I kind of hate, I hate seeing businesses get stuck at two to five people or even 10 people, I, I actually, it actually bothers me for some reason. I actually, I think it's to stay small is selfish. And, and I, I get that there's other opinions out there. Like, a, you know, you can have a tiny business and it's a beautiful thing and all these things like that. But I find it selfish because if you really have the best service and products and you do great things for your community, then I want you to do more of it. I mean, that's just how I feel. So why should people not stay small even though their employees are not them. I'm going to back up and do the number one 500 pound or 800 pound gorilla because we never really settled on which size yeah. gorilla this was. Yes. <laughs> this thing about my employees, why aren't they like me? Well, 
not only was I owner of a business and we were not a small business, we were 17 million back in the nineties. And um, it is now on to the fourth generation, by the way, my nephew is there and with my middle brother, he's still there, Richie. And Richie was kind of the outside guy. And I was kind of the bridge between him and my brother, Marty, who was the inside guy and running our business. And we would go run calls as well. So typically 25 techs, we were a full service shop, 24, seven, 365 not just some fancy thing to say. We had shifts from seven to four, eight to five, 10 to seven, two to 11 and five to two in, in, the, in the morning. So these were not on calls, these were shifts. We did residential, commercial and industrial and all those trades that I rattled off. The, so we're the two last tech standing in the office having an exhausting conversation. And Richie starts to say, why don't the employees do this? And why don't they do that? And why don't they do this? And I am just like, had it. And I look over and I'm like, go, Richie, if they could do all of what we could do, why would they be working here? They would get a truck and go into business themselves. You don't get the employee you want. You get the whole employee. Whatever baggage they brought along, that's what you buy. Now, what that was, was an illuminating moment at 2 a.m. Because we realized our only chance was to stop taking industry retreads and frankly, stealing your talent. <laughs> we used to call it pirating. And we finally committed to taking young, willing apprentices with no skills all the way to willing techs with great skills. And that completely changes this equation that you're speaking to. By the but way, Al, they'll, never, they'll never be as good as you, Tim. Al, the problem is they go somewhere else. I've been yeah. training people and they go somewhere else. So the classic one is, what if I train them and they leave? And then the answer, of course, is what if you don't train them and they stay? Yeah. Well, here's what I will say. I would love to blow this myth up because it's BS. What I found is if you have the right org chart, which of course I have, of where you go up the boxes, apprentice to junior tech, junior tech to senior tech, senior tech to field supervisor the right way, not appointing them. They earn their way. They come to your training. They have a reason to keep coming to your training. They have a career path. And if you can't provide a career path, you're only promising a job. So how are you the ideal employer? That was what we latched onto back in the 90s and continued on. And every shop I've worked with, that has always been the goal, to become the employer of choice. And the employer of choice is, we don't promise jobs, we promise careers. Mm. And that means the manuals, the training, the org chart, coming better trainers, training curriculum, and the right hands-on training center. It's easy to think that, okay, I could just slap these things up, but there's more that goes to it. And that's what I had to learn how to do to get in front of this problem. So if an employee, let's say, I'm going to keep on kind of re revisiting this, my employees are not me theme here. If they're not me, is what is an acceptable percentage of me? that they could be like, is, is this, is everyone need to be at 80% or what is this idea? You know, cause you, manuals and training and whatever you do is always going to kind of leave them at a place that's likely not you still. <laughs> so the question is, is if you have 10 people at 80%, I mean, that's going to be way more productive than, you know, you and two other people that are. Yeah. Know. Yeah. There's no question about it. Really. You know, 
what we get confused as contractors is we think we have stuff to sell, but really we sell our hours, our billable hours. I don't care what trade you're in. That's just the nature of it. So really, when you begin to think about how do I maximize my billable hours, if I had a big paintbrush, I'd write that on the wall and walk out. Mm. Billable hours. So where are you going to go sell them for the money that you need to sell them? And then the material mm. adds on to that. One of the things I wanted to come back to, which was the myth, because we trained them, because we gave them a career, we had very little defection. They actually loved training. And we mm -hmm. had training in-house, about 80%. But we did bring in outside trainers and we sent out the training and we went with them. They loved training. I had, the, guys, I know there's people that haven't been born when I'm going to say this, but in, there was a dot-com bust in the 90, late 90s, 2000, when this came where, you know, another superheated market like we just went through. And people used to ask me, not how much it was costing, how soon could I start, which is nice. And my staff was getting pirated. People wanted my staff because they knew it was trained. I never lost anybody that I really wanted. They offered them great things. But what I had trained my people on is if people won't invest in your career, they may pay you more to come over, but they'll never spend another dime on it. So that's why they stayed with me. And I took apprentices all the way up that ladder there. They became the service manager of our company, the sales manager of our company. There were great things. And when we opened up branches, which we did, we had one main hub and three spokes on our Long Island, which is 115 miles tip to tip. But there's New York traffic. You want to talk about killing your billable hours? You're stuck in traffic too long. So we did a hub and spoke arrangement, which takes really good org charts, really good manuals. So the question is, how do I fill the box to your liking? Well, if you never define what goes on in the box, I'm supposed to read your mind. Mm. Like I'm a mind reader to know what's going to make you happy. What do you really mean by that? Because otherwise, you're really judging me in a subjective way. So the example I love to use is um, I come into the office and you look at my uniform and you go, well, that's not how we dress here. And I go, yeah, I'm wearing the shirt and pants. Yeah, but the button is halfway down to your navel. Well, I think I'm dressed right. And then, by the way, there's a meatball stain across your shirt. That's not right either. So there's no objectivity to it, if you follow. So in the manuals, it describes everything that you do. And then we pair it up to a photo. So I get you dressed exactly like you're supposed to be tied to the manual. And I just wait because you're going to walk in one day and I'm just going to pull you to the side and I go, read for me what it says on page seven about how you're supposed to dress and let you go through. And when you finish, I'm going to show you the picture of you dressed right and go, how do you look like this today? Mm -hmm. They hate, 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 hate that you subjectively put your opinion on it. Now, in my mm. case, there were four Levy's. Good luck figuring out which one you're supposed to make happy today because we had different sets of eyeballs. But with standardized manuals, which don't cover 100% of everything, it covers the 80% because the 20% weird is not what causes you the issue. Another myth I would like to blow up <laughs> is you may have been the best tech, and it's true. That's how you tend to rise up and you go out and buy your own company. But you will run out of days in a week, weeks in a month, months in a year. I guarantee it. And I have a question for you. If you're 50, can you do what you did at 40? Nope. If you're 40, can you do what you did at 30? Nope. 
Can you do the same at 20? You follow the thing here. You're going to run out of your body, your time. It all speaks to you. There's only this sweet spot. And if you don't learn how to leverage, that's a problem. I had a company, great company in Iowa, not the roofing guy, another guy. And uh, he thought he had it made because he had seven great techs. And he was making really great money. It was rolling in. All the systems were great. He took his foot off the pedal because staffing power is five things. Staffing. Always recruiting, always hiring, always orienting, always training. And here's the one that all of us miss. Always retaining. You think they're on the, on the train with you, but not necessarily. Hmm. So he took his foot off. Seven guys. One guy decides that he doesn't want to work in the big city of Des Moines and he moves off to a city of 10,000. Another guy doesn't want to put on call, so he goes to a utility thing. And pretty soon he's down to four guys. That's an enormous amount of money went out. And I said, guess what's going to happen? They're going to come to you and they're going to feel like they have you over a barrel, which they do. So you have to proactively say, I will take an on call with you and we will never be back here again. Contractors love the catch-all because it makes every single one of their roof builds easier and more profitable. Protective netting wraps facade and landscaping to prevent from left-behind nails and damage. Homeowner referrals bring you more jobs and insurance supplements bring you more profits. But my favorite part, the branding. And what I told him to say is in two years, we'll be up to 20 techs. Two years happened, Tim. He was at 19 techs. Hmm. So with systems, and there are all these seven things I rattled off, are systems, you can do this and you need to do this. If you want to stay small, I say great. But if you ever want to sell your business, I don't want your job if you're the magic person that makes it work. If you have a systematic business, now that's attractive. Can you give us the seven powers again, Al? I feel like we can always be reminded of these things. <laughs> One is planning operations, staffing, sales, sales coaching, marketing, and financial. Mm. So can I, do I have time to do the quick explaining what that is? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's perfect. So planning is, are you short of great ideas or ideas that get implemented? The answer, of course, is ideas that get implemented. Every time you go to the internet, every time you're in a Facebook group, every time you go to a seminar, is there a shortage of great ideas? No. What do you do with them? Something gets started, then it gets stopped. It never gets really done. So think of a funnel, top of the funnel. You load up every great idea that you have at the top of the funnel. That's the master project list. And then you have two strainers. Fixes the biggest problem or challenge or greatest chance to grow and be profitable. You get that list down to the top 30. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big a company you are. You cannot effectively work on 30 things at the same time and get any really thing done. <clears throat> so now you have 30 things. And basically, if you and I or Tim were working together in a year from now, we would come back and see how many of the 30 you got done. So you use the same strainers, fix the biggest problem challenge, greatest chance to be profitable. You get it down to five. And those five things are the most important thing that you need to do because the work you do every day is great, but it's not gonna make your company better. So you have to apportion time each week to work on the top five that you selected. Tell me what's more important than fixing your biggest problem or challenge or greatest chance to grow and be profitable. And the answer is nothing, <laughs> nothing. So you have to be able to commit to that. For, for me, it's my uh, random marketing idea that I had that day that, 
that I just want to run off and do because I'm distracted. But and that, I'm and sure no one else is like me, though. I'm nobody sure else of, is like you. Yeah, Tim. I'm sure none of you First, you do that. I've ever heard that gets distracted. Operating <laughs> power is these org charts, the structure of your company. It doesn't matter if you're a million or 150 million. It's the same box org chart. And then there's a depth chart and all the other. Bigger the company, the better the depth. But they don't know what boxes there are, number one. Number two, they don't know where they're in the box. They don't know where they can go with you in the boxes. Ultimately, who is their boss? And if they need help, who do they go to? And until you define it, doesn't matter. And then the manuals, the operating manuals, cover all those boxes, including the work you do. That begins to make you systematic. Staffing is the next phase. We already talked about the five steps, but the goal is to take young, willing apprentices and get them to be great junior techs. Build some time on the clock, bring them back, and take them to senior tech. And if your company gets to where you have eight to 12 service techs, the service manager becomes the choke point in your company. So you need to create field supervisors, but the right way, which is don't appoint somebody because they're a good tech. They have zero idea how to be a boss or even a big brother, which is really what a field supervisor is. So there's a qualify, compete, and train to become a field supervisor. That's a quick overview of staff. Hey, I have a question for you. Sorry, sorry to like, um, I might just be stupid with this, but like thinking about roofing. So they don't have as many service techs as much. It's a little bit more like sales manager and the, I guess they, they might call them like project consultants. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? so it's the same. That's yeah. the installing. So if you're not yeah. doing service and you're doing yeah. install, because a lot of these guys team. don't do service, which is a giant opportunity. I, I, for them. I, I totally get yeah. it. Yeah. So there's a sales manager wing, and yeah. one arm is the sales wing for the big tickets. But yeah. you call them project consultants. I call them system advisor. Yeah. Same thing. They have to Just, sell yeah. the job the right way. Yeah. Projected exactly. material, projected labor, gross profit, their commission, and a bonus for the install team on the other side of the wing, who brings the job in on time, on budget, no callbacks, thirty days. Mm. If they do that, both sides win. Mm -hmm. That's what you're after. And yep. it's all under the sales manager. So that part of the org chart applies to you. I will yeah. say the company I worked with, they wanted to have recurring business because if yeah. they had to wait around and the market economy was like that. So they said, do work with us and we'll take care of you forever. Yeah. So part of their selling thing was to do these repairs which led them as the first guy into the replacement. Yeah, I like I like uh, for commercial roofing. I think and just like you're talking about low slope, I like uh, the maintenance programs. I've seen some really cool things where like, yeah. hey, you know, you guys are doing so many cool things over here on the HVAC and um, other home services side. Like even the stickers thing, where like yeah. one of my commercial roofing guys is using stickers on the on the stairs up to the the commercial yeah. roof for, for maintenance. And then they get people on these uh, recurring programs, which I think you're, like you said, is when it's time to replace, you're the company because you've been yeah. And if so you're doing times. recurring revenue, anybody who would ever consider buying you, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Not only being the first person, first call and locking other competitors out. It, you think it's expensive to market and advertise? Think about how much more expensive it is to market and advertise to people you thought were your customers. <laughs> it's it's really a okay. Big so I have, I have a question. Just you know, you know, like I said, my main mode is roofing. But if I'm looking over at HVAC and 
plumbing and electrical, like what is an actual good stable? I know this is such a subjective question, but what's like a good stable of recurring look like? Is it like 500 plus? And then it's like, okay, we're doing pretty good. Like where, what are like the levels that you're seeing that you're like, that's a pretty good stable of recurring well, the recurring hits a couple of things, because if it's recurring work, you can take young, willing apprentices and put them to work with you where they learn how to maintain and service and do things of that nature, yeah. which begins to build their skills. And they're less expensive than a full blown mm. tech alone doing this work. Yeah. So there's a secondary benefit to it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like, what's a good number though? Like if, if you it's, were... I'd rather go with percentages. Okay. No. So, yeah. If, if, if your total revenue, if you could get 5% of your revenue coming from recurring revenue, that's a really good place to start. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, it's a really better. good kind of like mark to shoot for. And I think, I do think that there are so many things in roofing that could be recurring that, and that these maintenance agreements, I would love a maintenance agreement on my roof. I, I think people are frustrated with me because I, I use my roof as an example. It's, it looks hideous. It needs to be replaced. I'm in Minneapolis. I have like, you know, I have customer, I have clients in Minneapolis that easily could do it, but I like kind of like it sitting out here is like a, like a thought experiment right now. It's like this nasty looking roof that needs to be replaced. Um, maintenance agreement would be great. You know, like something to just know when it's time, you know, when it really, because when I had my guy out here, Sorry to go off on a tangent. When I had my guy out here, he was like, well, it's not insurance yet, but, um, you know, it, you know, it's got issues. And if you want us to do it, you know, we're here. Um, and there, there was no like cleaning option. You know, there was no like little options. It was all, it was either like full replacement or nothing. And I'm like, well, there's, there's a bunch of moss on it. There it could be soft washed and like there is a bunch of other things. Yeah, there is. There I, is exterior, I work with a lot of exterior yeah. cleaning companies who yeah. joined the program and we put together a power washing manual for just what you talked about, moss and, you know, a detriment to your roof and things of that nature. I um, think like it's it's distract. It feels like a distraction from the main roofing business. But I, if, I do get it, that. I do yeah. get. But it's not a distraction. Yeah, it could be a I great recurring option. Distraction. But yeah. you're not understanding that it's a lead to yeah. you being the first person in. Exactly. It is recurring revenue when things slow down, which the cycle will slow down. Mm -hmm. It's been around for a long time. And I can tell you before that, leaned on my my dad who'd been around a long time. And that will happen. Yeah. It's hard to recognize that while you're in the middle of a heated market. And so things will get crowded. And there yeah. is a case of, again, you want to lock out your competitors. Those are some of the things that really make a difference. Even in residential, out here in Arizona, there's low slope. Yeah. And so in residential, what we knew a very long time ago is a flat roof is a leaky roof, is yeah. how we used to refer to it. Uh, it needs to be maintained. Even if you foamed it, you did all the great things, debris is falling on it. The drains are mm -hmm. getting clogged. It's all yeah. of an issue. And the same thing goes with even high slope. There's still issues, like you yeah. mentioned the deterioration and things of that nature, you want to be the first person in to address those things and have a good discussion about, you know what, Tim, your roof is 20 years. Um, could it go another 10? I, I don't know. But here's what I can already see. It's starting to wear out in the asphalt and it's starting to have drain problems and the, lead, and the gutters and moss and stuff. And you're going to continually be doing it. Or we can set you up on a maintenance program 
And then when the time comes and there's a roof or a leak issue, we'll be the first people in to rip it out or either way you want to go, but we have options. Anytime you can present a couple of options, mm. and I mean a couple of options, yeah. not a thousand options, yeah. it's really a good thing to do. No, I love it. Um, all right, so let's get back to the, the systems and employees stuff here real quick. Um, I feel like we already addressed you maybe taking employees from other businesses, you know, has a, a, a end limit. It's, it's hard to do that forever. Find lightning in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. Now, now we are on the other side. We're talking about um, building employees from scratch and teaching them how to be passionate about this industry and um, how that is a, it is a little bit more sustainable model, even though it's a risk. How do you know, uh, when it's time to let go of someone, I think, I think I, I see there's a, a a pattern of certain business owners who go through employees like water to the to the degree where it's like this is on you. This is it's harsh, but it's on you. Once you once you get go through five people, you know, and there's a certain point where it's a little bit more on you. So how do you know it's not that? And it's, it's time to let go of somebody versus how do you know it? Like, dang, our systems are broken. Yeah. Well, again, my company had been operating probably about 50 years or so, and we had no systems. We just had the mantra of get up, work hard. Hopefully the money will come. But what happened is we were chasing our tail all the time. We were running callbacks over and over again. There was insurance claims. There were a lot of damage stuff that was happening. Couldn't put in new trucks on the road. That's what caused us to invest $150,000 in creating our own manuals with the org chart to start addressing that. And because we didn't have any objectivity, it was very difficult when it came time to fire somebody. Actually, back to when I was young, um, came into the business and my dad one day tells me, you can't hire one new person. I go, why not? He says, because you don't know how to fire anybody yet. <laughs> so until you learn how to fire somebody, I'm not going to let you hire one more person. Are you sick of what passes for leads these days? What's wrong with shared leads? Or Facebook ad leads? Yeah! Not much, unless you want to be the lowest bidder on every job. I wear a lot of hats, but search engine marketing and website, I've passed off to a Google specialized team. And I hated it. I hated it. More times than not, the people were surprised. I did every stupid thing you can't imagine. Like they would start to talk and I would cut them off because I wanted them out. It was painful. And so mm -hmm. I had to learn a lot of management things. But one of the great things about having systems, you're no longer the bad guy. As a matter of fact, I was a union shop, still is a union shop. We had somebody called a shop steward. And for those who don't know, he was a tech who was also charged to defend techs in the company in case there was a problem, employer mm. problem. And so we changed the whole nature of our company by creating the manuals, making them objective. We had a training center where we could actually teach you how to do it our way. We'd watch you do it our way. And when you didn't do it in the field our way, we would be able to write you up. So there's four steps 
of corrective action we created. First step is a discussion note in your file. Second step is a formal write-up. The third step is uh, two days, you know, go home, you're suspended, think about it. Fourth is you're gone. Now, if you lie, cheat, or steal, there's no four steps, you're out. So we would write it up, it'd be pretty easy that way. So we, we also changed the way we learned to speak to our employees. And what we learned is, now this is again associated because we became so systematic with org charts, manuals, training curriculum, better trainers, and a hands-on training center. We learned to say to our people who were on board, because experienced people are deathly afraid that you're gonna find out what they don't know. Because in an interview, they oversold themselves. Oh, can you fix everything in roofing? Can you put down a new roof? Do you know what the underlayment is? Do you know what the, the boards and everything are? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I know it all. <laughs> Who in an interview has not said they can do it all? Mm-hmm. That's the same thing if you were even hiring a accounts receivable, accounts payable person. Tim, do you know QuickBooks? What's the only answer you're gonna get from Quick? Tim is, oh, of course, until you actually sit down and do it. So in the five steps, I do recommend that you get much better in the hiring process to find out what they really do and don't know so you know how to place them. But the goal, of course, is to take them from young willing, no skills, to your way and your skills. But it takes systems to do that. That's mm. really what I'm speaking to. So only after those four steps, you would let somebody go. Um, what yeah. about, what about uh, when do you know it's time to elevate or promote someone? That is also... Not a guess, not my opinion, not my brother Richie or Marty's or my dad's opinion. It was set up in such a way that we documented, here's how much time you spend an apprentice. When you have and you get good marks from everybody, you have earned the right to go to apprentice to junior tech training. Mm. And I will train you on all you need to know that you can get in a truck, make yourself some money, make the company money. You'll be in that truck for six months to a year, proving that you can do what we need to do. So if you're an installer, great communications, great operational skills, great technical skills that we trained you up on that are being repeated out in the field, mm. bringing jobs on time on budget, not damaging our equipment, not a filthy truck. You're not dressed right. The job is a mess when you leave all the things that you hate. And if you do that, we'll take you from junior tech to senior tech. So everything is clicked to a systematic approach to what is. So nobody, I used to call it the five o'clock knock, which is people would be at my door doing this at five o'clock. And we both knew why they were there. It was, sorry, but I have to go, feel bad. Or can we talk? Cause it's time for a raise. And honestly, I hated them, Tim, for making me a hostage. But when I stopped accusing them, what I quickly realized it was me. I never laid out what I call the salary ladder or salary levels about how do they get their own raise. So we started to tell you is I don't give you a raise anymore. You give yourself more chances to earn more money. Mm. And if you go above goal, there's a bonus for you for doing that. Yeah. And that became a much better systematic way, not just about running the business, but making, letting people go or promoting people became objective, not subjective. Had a quick story I want to finish up on. So that guy I talked about, you know, the shop steward, one day he comes into me and he goes, you know, we don't fire anybody anymore. I go, what do you mean by that? 
He goes, well, based on, we said, whatever you don't know, we're going to show you. We're going to give you four steps to correct yourself to get back on the train. We offer you a career. The way I look at it, they chose not to work here. Now, that's the guy who was designed to help them be protected. Mm. He saw the light of what we were doing. I love it. Okay, I have a, I mean, maybe you guys don't have this um, in some of these other trades, but like in roofing right now, I see there's tension between like the top sales person and the owner. Does that happen in these other trades? Like where there's somebody, because I think sometimes, and, and maybe you just apply your, you know, your owner's mind to this, but like there is, an owner who doesn't quite know his numbers to, to such a degree, he gives a, a, a deal, a very good deal to a, a salesperson. It's not that good of a deal when they start. It's, you know, variable and, and there's not a lot of base. And then they just go boom, 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 boom. And then sometimes the, the salesperson's making more than the owner. And then if this doesn't happen in other industries, oh, it happens, like, that happens in yeah. every industry, every, yeah. every contractor I work with has exactly the same thing when it comes so, down to big. So then sometimes they cut them loose or they start a fight with their top salesperson and they have this crazy tension, which causes big cultural rifts. Cause often that top salesperson is also a leader, a mindset leader in the business towards some of the other salespeople their goal, like their, their life goals for a lot of these other salespeople. And then they get chopped, which leads to toxicity in, in a culture. And maybe they deserved it, or maybe <laughs> there was a real problem with the owner uh, for allowing this kind of dynamic. But really, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's like, who's to say? And uh, how do you, I mean, I guess if you have any ideas about how to avoid that kind of problem. I do. I have, toxicity. I have a couple of thoughts. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts going back to the beginning is what I call big ticket salespeople, system advisors, many roofing guys call project consultants, same yeah. thing. When I used to pay my big ticket salespeople based on the dollars that I wanted, they proved to me they could bring me every dollar I wanted and I would go broke. <laughs> And that was, again, about the owner. Didn't know what I didn't know. So when we changed the dynamic, it went this way. <laughs> Whoever sells the big tickets is projected material, projected labor, gross profit you desire, their commission built into it, and then a bonus spiff for the installers who are coming to do the job. They turn the job over the right way so that the installers are not blind. Everything's been documented. Everything's going through the sales manager who oversees both branches to make sure it's turned over right. And then the installers need to bring that job in on time, on budget, with no callbacks for 30 days. And if they do, then everybody gets paid. Now, in the office, they do need to see that actual material and actual labor were within the regions that you want it to be. Or again, you're going to just pay dollars. So my answer to that is once you do that, the money doesn't come out of your wallet, my friends. I don't care if they make $500,000, if they're doing it the way I just described. Hmm. So I do not like everything being through one person because 
if they get sick, die, quit, hurt by the bus that came and hit them, everybody loses. But I'm not going to, you know, take away, like you mentioned, I'm not going to dishearten every other salesperson. If you can produce, now I will get in your truck and make sure we're finding out how you're making that money. Because if you're doing unethical stuff, I got to know that now, hmm. you know, whatever you're doing. And if you don't do ride-alongs with the team, you'll never know. You might say, well, yeah. if I ride with them, they'll do the right thing. Uh, Sometimes they're just crazy charismatic and kind of uh, kind of aggressive. And and uh, they might even run their own business one day. You know, that's the kind of vibe sometimes I think I get from these folks. Yeah, it's possible that they could. And I like, you know, I, what I used to say to my staff was, I want you to be as ambitious as you can be and selfish. But here's what you have to do. Tell me why that helps the customer and the company first. Yeah. Because if you can, I'm willing to listen. And so story about sales is I had uh, worked at a great company and they were all great techs. And one tech was way above the rest of them. So I finally went to the owner and I go, this guy might be everything, but I'm wondering why. You need to go check what's going on. And sure enough, they did ride alongs and they did some background and they were horrified. The good news is they found out before they were in a sting or any other bad TV thing, right? Where the business <laughs> goes off the cliff. And here's what I will tell you, which people were being shocked. When they fired this misbehaving person, they had record sales for the next six months. Hmm. The reason why is because everyone else said, ah, they aren't just interested in making money the wrong way. They want to do it the right way. And the team stepped up to defend that. Yeah, we can do this the right way. We don't have to go there. So, yeah, I'm not going to be a hostage to anybody. Hmm. That's really what I used to feel like. As a matter of fact, that's how I sold my family to invest 150,000 in today's money to create manuals that were a fraction of what they are today. And things I didn't know what I needed to know about how to get manuals in place. These were lessons learned over the, you know, the 20 plus years. So what I woke up and I said to my brothers and my dad, we are in a very small office because my dad believed we don't make any money with us sitting here. <laughs> so go out and do something. And so I said to them, you know, I woke up in a cold sweat today because I'm thinking all of them could walk out tomorrow. And I feel like a hostage on my own company. What do you guys think? And everyone of them said, yeah, we feel the same way. And then they looked at me. So what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but I will figure it out. And that's where I began this whole path of not being hostage to my own employees. And that didn't mean I just fired everybody. I helped them fill their box or I helped them move on to another career. Both ways are good. Thank you, sir. Uh, could you give the folks at home a, a next step if they wanted to work with you or to check out your book? Yeah, so my website, the number seven, powercontractor.com is your best place to go. There's a lot of great, yeah, I know it's my stuff. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of great blogs and information there. There's a lot of free stuff. Even the Jumpstart Guide is really good. Uh, that's the best way to do it. I do offer a free 30 minute call to any contractor. I've been offering that for 20 years. And the reason why is if not for the mentors that came into my life, this guy would be in a basement late at night turning wrenches and that would not be a pretty sight. 
So the call is primarily for you. And I will share, you know, there are two ways I work today. I no longer do one-to-one. It was a great 20-year career. I worked with some of the best and biggest shops in the industry. I have my programs online. They're doing phenomenal, not just in the United States and Canada now, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and South Africa. And they're having success with the same thing. So it's the org charts that I've been talking about, learning the process of how you put manuals in and all these manuals, including in this case, commercial roofing. But believe it or not, the trade manual is not the most important thing. There's more things that are important. And that's all on the page. So if you go to the products tab, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then it will lead you to the second program, which is learning how to do staffing right. Remember I mentioned the five things and how to build apprentices, the junior tech, junior tech, senior tech. That's all on the page as well. Again, any questions or concerns, there's a contact Al at the bottom, or you can just email me at al at the number seven powercontractor.com. And I'll be happy to set you up with a call and schedule and be able to get to it and take a look and see if I can get you some help.